Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future, I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
everybody. Happy Tuesday. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sodder Show. I'm Rory Sodder, your host. It is great to be with all of you. I hope you all are having a fantastic day. Uh, we had a fantastic show yesterday. So many great topics addressed. Amazing guests uh, and everything you could want in a show. I mean, just such good flow. Uh, like I do every episode, first and foremost, I'd like to thank all my audience, my co-hosts, my guests, and sponsors. You guys are all incredible, and the show just keeps getting better and better and bigger and bigger. We're now listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past shows, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site. The next NEX Gen G E N USA dot com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people doing their own shows on the network. And as it gets closer, I will announce all the details. And I can't wait to share it with all of you. Uh, I do want to welcome, um, we have on the line, we have doctor, award winning speaker, professor, veteran, technology expert, best selling author and currently the Commissioner of Parks and Recreation for Maricopa County, Dr. Bob Branch. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing fantastic tonight, Rory. Did you get your uh, subpoena from Jerry Nadler today? <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I mean I, I'm surprised I didn't get one. Who isn't he subpoenaing? It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, 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 I feel left out. I don't know about you, but I'm not getting one yet either. <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> I hear you, man. I mean, he... You talk about the epitome of a witch hunt. Uh, there's, Trump's exactly right. There's no better way to explain it, seriously. Um, I also <laughs> do want to welcome on the show uh, fa- the founder of College Republicans United, uh, founder of Republicans United, and currently the leader of Nationalists United, Kevin DuKuyper. How are you, my friend? I'm doing fantastic, Rory. Can't wait for the show, and it's been crazy with everything that's been going on. I can't wait to get into it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right, and uh, I will say it has been a crazy day in the news. Um, We've we've seen multiple reports come out, and it never ends with this witch hunt and hoax. Now, now they're going after Hope Hicks. They're going after Hope Hicks thinking that they're going to get their smoking gun. They think Hope Hicks. And there's another, there's, another, there's another female that they're going to be interviewing. I forget her name, but the, the most important and relevant one is obviously Hope Hicks. But, you know, I, I know, obviously, that they know. I mean, let, let's face it. There's no way in hell that these Democrats do, that actually believe Russian collusion. They know for a fact that it doesn't exist. They know for a fact that it, it was a lie all along. And they know that the most they can do is lead their sheep on, keep sticking with this narrative, and try to make people that they're questioning answer certain things that they'll try to twist or use, uh, use to, their, to their advantage. Let's face it. Even though there's no crime here, the whole point of these, these subpoena uh, things is to try to uh, frame them with their wording. Because they say one wrong thing, even though we know it, it, everything's innocent, there's no Russian collusion, some of these people could say one wrong thing, and, they, and we see the left 
and the House, uh, guys like Nadler, uh, you know, say they just committed a crime. I mean, that's what happens in these situations. And you have Don McGahn, who did not show up to, uh, uh, to testify. He didn't. He, he, did not, he did not show up when he was ordered. And uh, now you have Nadler making threats. You have all these people in the House uh, just – I've never seen this kind of abuse ever in, in, in the history of politics. This goes to a whole new level of abuse, harassment, absurdity. And you better believe, guys, you better believe this is going to go through 2020. This is going to go all, all the way up until 2020. Now you have Mueller, who there was a headline article today that he's hesitant to go in front of them. Mueller doesn't even want to go in front of them. What does that tell you? And we had Attorney General Barr recently came out the other day and say he felt the rules were being changed to hurt Trump. Those are just the facts, people. And, you know, here's a couple interesting other facts that came out today in the media. According to the newspaper, the New York Times, in the summer of 2006, CIA Director John Brennan set up a secret task force at CIA headquarters composed of several dozen analysis and officers from the CIA, the NSA, and the FBI. Think about that for a second. Here's another disturbing part of this. Deep inside a 7,700-plus word uh, document from the Washington Post article published on June 23, 2017, the newspaper detailed the highly um, compartmentalized nature of the original Russia interference investigation and the manner in which other U.S. intelligence agencies were deliberately kept in the dark. They were deliberately, on purpose, kept in the dark. This was such a secretive mission and such an abuse of power and some of the dirtiest of the dirty. Uh, The Post described the unit as so secretive it functioned as a sealed compartment. A sealed compartment, guys, hidden even from the rest of the U.S intelligence community, a unit whose workers were all made to sign additional non-disclosure forms. The unit reported to top officials the newspaper documented. Another disturbing fact, the, um, the, the, compartment, the compartment may, may have helped explain why only Brennan, CIA, Comey's FBI, and the NSA that penned the January 6, 2017, U.S. intelligence U.S. intelligence community report alleging Russia. So, going just going back, I, I, I read this wrong. This last part, basically, what it's saying is the the, the situation in, in this article. Uh, I mean, it it explains, and you know, clearly that there were laws broken here. You had Brennan CIA. You had him overlooking the entire thing. You had Comey's FBI. You had the U.S. intelligence community uh, in bed with this dirty investigation. And this whole Russian interference thing was never, ever a legitimate cause. It was never a valid reason uh, to start this witch hunt. Um, Numerous news outlets reported originally and falsely claimed that it was authored by all 17 U.S. intelligence agencies, which is not true. There, were, there, was, there was some of that, but there wasn't all 17 of them. 
and they kept it very, very small, secretive, and all with their cronies. This is dirty, dirty, dirty. And, and don't forget that the Obama administration cut the situations rooms, so they cut the, the situation rooms video feed during meetings on Russia investigation. That's how secretive they were. They are not going to quit on this. They're going to keep going. They're going to keep going. And, and it's just going to be a merit ground. Dr. Branch, go ahead. You know, I was reading that article as well, and something that you're cutting out. Uh, well, the thing that really struck me about that article and that still a little bit trying you know, to get the, on the, speaker. The, now you're good. Now you're good. Okay, the compartment uh, 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 by compartmentalizing, you were able then to direct exactly what happened while keeping information from the other departments. So yeah. when Comey came out and said they, he wanted to use the Steele dossier, even though there was objections to it, they still did it. Now, the order of it came from the president, came from uh, you know, the executive branch to do this. You know, and, mm -hmm. and to me, just just looking at this and and understanding the report and what they were doing, just shows how the deep state actually worked, and it's it's incredible because since we have Trump in there, we're able to see this. If Hillary was elected, this would have all been uh, conspiracy theorists, uh, you know, and 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 debunked that way. But the reality is it now is in the open. And to me, Barr is going to do something with this. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm extremely happy that Barr is there. Uh, you know, and, and it appears to me that Barr, you know, knows how to move forward with this. Uh, it, it's just, it, it, you know, it was shocking to see this report today. Oh, yeah. And you know what? It just seems more and more every day we more and more information, like more stuff is revealed. It just it just keeps going well, and going. This isn't the United States. It's not the United States. I mean, when we grew up as kids, this is not what we were told happens. The intelligent department, the 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 the, the, the boots on the ground, you know, they were above reproach. That's what we were told. And to understand that there was actually a plan in place to basically, you know, impeach the sitting president, the lawfully elected president of the United States. And they're still going after it. They're still going after this. Uh, you know, with what's happening now in the House, with all these subpoenas, there, there was a day when you were invited to speak in front of Congress. And you were given so much time to answer that. Now it's just, I'm going to subpoena you. Why? Because it's drama. It's drama that abuse the left can use now. It's abuse of power. That's all it is, abuse of power. And these Obama judges, like this judge yesterday that ruled that Trump had to turn over all of this, uh, his, his, his lawyers had to turn over all of his records, uh, even if there was no subpoena, uh, not subpoena, even if there was no grand jury or no hint of a crime, 
that is against the Fourth and Fifth Amendment and the Due Process Clauses. But an Obama judge ruled that he had to do it. And to me, I don't care what oversight you have, you still have to obey the United States Constitution. And, you know, they're not. And we see abuse of power. We see that, you know, they're not respecting the United States Constitution. And, you know, I'm praying every single day that Barr brings this out in the open and people can understand what fully is going on here. Oh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And uh, I do do want to welcome to the show uh, economist, entrepreneur, speaker, writer for Town Hall, Newsmax, Live Zet, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, Rory. It's always my pleasure to be here. I just got on, so I didn't hear too much of the conversation so far, but um, I'm well ready to add stuff when uh, when I hear it. So, what are your what are your thoughts about uh, you know the new just more Russia information out today? Uh, we we okay. saw a lot a lot of the articles come out with Comey, Brennan, how secretive okay. they were, and yep. now Hope Hicks is getting subpoenaed. I mean, there's so much going on with the with the witch hunt. Yeah. Well, the president's position is that um, the Democrats requested a special prosecutor to investigate Trump's collusion and any obstruction of justice. He gave them exactly what they they wanted. Uh, He didn't interfere with the investigation for the entire time. He turned over uh, more than a million documents as requested uh, by the special prosecutor. He allowed all of his... um, associates and people that work for him to uh, testify during the Mueller investigation. The conclusion is that there was no collusion between Trump and uh, the Russians, period, and there's not enough evidence to uh, charge a crime of obstruction. So as far as Trump's concerned, um, the whole thing is over. He did what he's supposed to do. Uh, The Democrats simply won't let this die, uh, and they issued uh, numerous subpoenas, and they keep issuing more, um, all of the people uh, that they are subpoena, uh, filing the subpoenas, for especially the recently uh, with Don McGahn and Hope Hicks, uh, they all uh, are covered under uh, executive privilege, and uh, they, don't, they don't have to testify. Uh, this is um, obviously some grandstanding, it looks like to me, uh, by the Democrats, because on the other side, um, Barr seems to be getting a lot closer to uh, what what really happened, uh, and some of the new stuff that is, has recently come out uh, clearly shows that the uh, FBI knew that uh, there was no basis to the Steele dossier, and uh, the whole FISA warrants uh, were therefore not uh, legal. Uh, you know, and that throws the whole uh, investigation and the results of it into question. Um, It also looks like that uh, there were some pretty um, bad people doing some bad things on the Democratic side, uh, and they've done some illegal things that uh, looks like that's going to be coming coming out more more so uh, shortly. The Inspector General's report should be due out in the next uh, few weeks. Um, uh, Attorney General Barr has put some pretty tough people uh, on this investigation, 
so I think the Democrats are, uh, as they seem to do, they, they do something wrong, and then they deny it and accuse you of doing what they actually did. Uh, so um, it appears that's what they're doing here. Um, and judging by the very latest polls, um, they're really losing the American people. Um, most of them say they're not really interested. I think the two latest polls I saw say less than a majority are interested in even hearing what Mueller has to say. And uh, more than a majority uh, think that the investigators uh, should be investigated uh, what uh, Attorney General Barr is doing. So uh, after two and a half years of being on the defensive and uh, taking all this and uh, listening to things that we knew weren't true, uh, you know, like we, I kept saying to myself, eventually the truth has to come out and people have to be held responsible. Um, so maybe we're finally starting starting to see that. Yeah, and you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Everything you said was so spot on. And I I do want to ask you uh, about these. You know, you're an economist, and uh, we talked weeks ago and, and even like months ago about how we never thought the tax returns would be or his financial statements Trump's would ever uh, see the light of day. But uh, with this new judge ruling, uh, how, what do you think? Well, um, I'm not sure what the legal procedure is with something like this. Typically, uh, that kind of a decision can be appealed. And normally when it is in the uh, appellate stage, uh, it sort of freezes everything. So I don't know if that's just the case to, just here. To, just, to say real, just to say real quick, it is getting appealed. But guess who's looking okay. at the appeal? Merritt, Merritt Garland, the Obama appointee. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, so he'll likely rule against the president. Um, and then I think the president would appeal that further up to the Supreme Court. Um, in fact, I think all of these requests for uh, President Trump's private information uh, will ultimately get up to the Supreme Court. Um, so um, if, if I was the president, uh, as I said before, I would not release any of my tax returns. That's a very simple reason uh, for that. You see what newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post will do. Um, they'll go in and examine everything. And every time there's uh, something that appears to be an inconsistency, uh, they'll write a big article about how Trump lied to the bank uh, examiners and lie to uh, uh, the tax people that he puts two different values on land. And um, so he's really not an honest business person. There, there, will be hundreds of those kinds of things in tax returns like that. And it's not that he's doing anything wrong. There's just uh, land carries different values based on uh, what you intend to do with it. Agricultural land has a very low value land you're going to put a golf course on or a housing development has a higher value. It could be the same piece of ground. So the point is that uh, I would never release any of those tax returns. And if I was him, I'd continue to resist. And I think in the end, he's going to win. He's not going to have to release any of them. Very, very well said. I'm going to play this clip by Trey Dowdy uh, on this Russia report and what you with uh, what Barr's doing with the investigation, and uh, here's uh, Gowdy's thoughts, and then I want to ask the rest of the panel what they think, but uh, here it is, 1-7. 
Welcome back, Attorney General William Barr, speaking out on the Department of Justice's push to investigate the origins of the Russia probe. Let's bring in Trey Gowdy, the former chairman of the House Oversight Committee and a Fox News contributor. It is great to see you, Trey. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Your reaction to what you heard from Bill Barr. Obviously, uh, the Democrats are painting him now as being political and not being the honest broker that they said he was at the beginning. Yeah. I don't think they like the old AG either. They're not going to like whoever replaces Bill Barr. There are a lot of serious questions that need to be asked. When did the Russia probe begin? When did it become hopelessly commingled with the Trump campaign? What was the factual predicate? Where are the transcripts, if any, exist between the informants and the telephone calls to George Papadopoulos? Why the defensive briefing so inadequate of President Trump? Why didn't you do a follow-up defensive briefing? That doesn't even get to the whole FISA uh, story in the fall. That's just that's just the spring and summer of 2016. There are lots of questions, and I hope Bill Barr finds someone who is skilled enough to answer them. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought you, you, you brought that up. The FBI agents' conversations with George Papadopoulos is because when an FBI agent sends in informants to someone they're looking at, typically those conversations are recorded, right? Those people are wired. Yeah, I mean, if the Bureau is going to send an informant in, the informant's going to be wired. And if the Bureau is monitoring telephone calls, there's going to be a transcript of that. Um, and some of us have been fortunate enough to know whether or not those transcripts exist, but they haven't been made public. And I think one in particular is going, it has the potential to actually persuade people. Very little on this Russia probe, I'm afraid, is going to persuade people who hate Trump or who love Trump. But there is some information in these transcripts that I think has the potential to be a game changer if it's ever made public. You say that's exculpatory uh, evidence. And when people see that, they're going to say, wait, why wasn't this presented to the court earlier? Yeah, you know, Johnny Ratcliffe um, is rightfully exercised over the obligations that the government has to tell the whole truth to a court when you are seeking permission to spy or do surveillance on an American. And part of that includes the responsibility of providing exculpatory information or information that tends to show the person did not do something wrong. If you have exculpatory information and you don't share it with the court, uh, that ain't good. Um, I've seen it. Johnny's seen it. I'd love for your viewers to see All it. All right, so that's the transcripts of FBI agents and George Papadopoulos. We're going to be on the lookout for that. Take me back to an email that Jim Comey wrote to his upper echelon staff. This is also considered classified, but you've seen it. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Well, take a half step back. I mean, people use the word dossier, and it has such an official sound to it. I mean, let, let's just call it for what it is. It's a series of rank hearsay, hearsay compilations put together by an FBI source who was later defrocked, paid for by the Democrat National Committee, and oh, by the way, Christopher Steele hated Donald Trump, too. So we can call it a dossier. It sounds official. It's really something the National Enquirer would blush if they printed so we know that it was used four times by the United States government. What we're trying to figure out is whether or not it was used a fifth time in the intelligence assessment. And you got Brennan, Clapper, and Comey, all three who know full well whether or not it was used in the intelligence assessment. But they're giving you different, they're giving you different versions. Right. So there is information that exists in December of 2016, and I hope anyone who has access to it Senator Burr, Devin, wh whoever is open-minded, go look at that. And, and I think it will help you understand whether or not that 
dossier, yeah. that unverified hearsay, was used a for five times or just four times by the United States government. It's pretty bad if it was just four times. Yeah. It's really bad if it was five. Jim Comey calls it the crown material. Trey Gowdy, it's good to see you. Thanks very much. Kevin, go ahead. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you guys are not kidding when you're saying that uh, they're just throwing subpoenas out in the dark and seeing what sticks, because it seems like, uh, you know, we're told in America, it, the public, that, you know, you are innocent until proven guilty. But this entire investigation is showing just the opposite, that you're guilty until proven innocent. And the fact that exactly. you know, just the most recent. Yeah, just most recently, you know, you have a former White House communications director, you know, the Hope Hicks, and then another uh, close advisor um, to the, the chief of staff, uh, a former chief of staff of the White House for not even a year, uh, mind you, uh, the Annie Donaldson woman. Um, just the fact that they're able to continue uh, going down these these roads to try to incriminate people, they reach a dead end, and then they realize, okay, now we have to find another road. And we, we know the fact that Trump isn't guilty of, of any of these charges, these absolutely right. fictitious, uh, malicious charges that they're pressing against him in this whole uh, Russian collusion narrative is because ever since the very beginning, we already know the fact that it was the Obama administration that they used their government officials, their government resources in order to spy on Trump and his entire campaign from start to up until now, of course. And the thing is, is that they are well aware that he's not uh, in any criminal um, – not, and no criminal breaches have been enacted by President Trump. Otherwise, they would have gone straight to that, uh, that infringement and uh, you know, dis discovered it. So they're continuing going down all these uh, dead ends on uh, Trump, and it's uh, just because that Nadler has been saying – uh, very directively that uh, he believes that all these individuals that he's getting subpoenas to had received documents and had been dispersing these documents to uh, these private attorneys and uh, and trying to uh, basically breach the um, the justice system. So uh, one thing I want to bring up is that uh, the media has not changed their tone. The Government officials on the Democrat side, as well as the voters, have not changed their tone at all. They're staying sh strong in this fictitious uh, collusion narrative, and it's uh, shown by the uh, Fox News poll just this weekend saying that uh, as of September 2018, they believe uh, their poll of the voters showed that 42% believe that Trump should be impeached, 47 believe uh, should not be impeached. But that number has not changed right now. Uh, they still 42% believe yes, Trump should be impeached, and it's only changed 3% no, he should not be impeached. Basically, showing how uh, no matter how far we take this uh, theatrics, this whole Russian collusion um, kangaroo court that's been taking place, it's not changing much of anyone's mind in, in any meaningful way. It's just polarizing the Democrats and the Republicans, and I, I believe that uh, something's going to give, and I, I hope it. It uh, gives during this uh, next election because uh, Trump has been very strong in every regard as far as uh, you know proving his innocence, and uh, the Democrats won't have it. Very, very well said. Uh, I do. I do want to get to Gianni. Then we got to take a commercial. And 
introduce our, our, our big guest, but uh, I do want to introduce Gianni, lobbyist, activist, and director Gianni Rodriguez-Perez. Gianni, how are you? What are your thoughts on this? Doing great, doing great. Glad to be on again. Um, you know, for me just calling in, you know, from what I gather from it, you know, I watched the, the rally with Trump in Pennsylvania yesterday. He was talking about it. And he was just saying mm-hmm. the Democrats, they knew it wasn't any collusion. I mean, even uh, what is the the, the, the uh, communist guy, Noam Chomsky, you know, he's a guy, you know, he doesn't like Trump. You know, he doesn't like conservatives or anything like that. Or most most politicians, but even he said the Democrats knew that it was fake, but they're just looking for any way to try to get him down. They're trying to look for any way to discredit him, and they're trying to take anything they can. Like one of your guests said, they're looking for anything they can to stick because they know 2020 is coming. And how is it they're going to fight him? You can't fight him and say the economy is bad. You can't fight him with racism because black unemployment is at its lowest. So what are you going to go at him for? So I think. This is a total witch hunt. You know, like I said, he may have done things that were, you know, from hearsay, from what we hear, done things that are bad. We don't know if it's true or not. But at the same time, he really didn't cause any collusion at all. Yeah. No, no, I hear you. Uh, I, uh, I, want, I need to take a quick commercial, guys, and uh, we will be right back. Stay with us. Where can you find a burger inspired by flavors from near and far that mixes the smoky with the sass of the South? Combines the sweetness of summer with the tang of the country for savory, sizzling, unexpected flavors. Well, you can find it at McDonald's. The new bacon smokehouse burger. It's the newest flavor of the signature crafted recipes by McDonald's. TGI Friday's famous sizzling entrees that you know and love like chicken, shrimp, and cheese just got even hotter. With new delicious tastes like whiskey, flat iron steak, and the tastiest sizzling street foods. Hurry in. Now starting at only $10. We bring the sizzle like no other. New sizzling entrees starting at $10. TGI Friday's, the home of endless apps. Endless apps every night, 9 p.m. to close. And we are back, everybody. The Rory Sauter Show, listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenexgenusa.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable names doing their own shows on the network. And as time gets closer, I will be announcing the exact details. Uh, I do want to welcome very special guest tonight, very popular guy all over the media. He's been around for a long time, a business mogul, public speaker, and best-selling author, Jim Cathcart. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Rory. It's great to be on the show. Looking forward well, to this. It's great to have you here. Great to have you here, sir. I mean, huh? you are a you are a huge name. You've been around for a for a long time. Uh, you know, since it's your first time on the show, like I do with yep. all my guests when they first come on, I like to get you know, uh, a, you know, information and details about how it all started for you, your background, the different chapters sure. you've been through. 
in your life and, and all the, all this greatness, man. This is incredible stuff. <laughs> well, you're generous. Thank you. You know, it's interesting. Someone said to me last night at a party, they said, your name sounds familiar. I said, well, I've been using it for years. And they said, what? I said, I've been using that name for years. And it took them a minute to get it, what I was talking about. And uh, it's kind of like when somebody says, uh, your face looks familiar. I say, yeah, same one I've, I've had since I was born. Uh, I've, I've managed happily to be really, really blessed in my career. I started out as a kid in Little Rock, Arkansas, aspiring to someday be a professional speaker, not as a kid, yeah. a young adult. And, um, you know, I, I, it didn't seem possible. I, I thought, well, that's, there's no way that can happen. You know, I can't just decide to be a professional speaker. I don't have anything to speak about, and I've never given a speech. But I'd heard Earl Nightingale on the radio, who was a, a motivational speaker back in the day, back in the 60s and 70s. And he was on 900 stations around the world with a little short five-minute program. And I was sitting there as a government clerk in Prepare Yourself for This Year, 1972. Let that sink in. So I'm 26 years old in 72, born in 1946, so I'm 72 today. I'll save everybody the math. Um, 26-year-old kid, I'm, I'm working at the Housing Authority, Urban Renewal Agency, I'm an assistant to a man who doesn't need one. So I'm bored to tears. I'm a government clerk. I'm making 525 bucks a month. I'm 50 pounds overweight, two-pack-a-day smoker, got a wife and baby at home, no college degree, no money in the bank, no connections in the community, and no hope of really making a difference in my life. And here's this guy on the radio, and he says, if you will spend one extra hour Every day, studying your chosen field, if you stay to that same field and study it for five consecutive years, you'll be a national expert. And I thought about that, and I did the math. An hour a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year, five years, 1,250 hours. Well, Rory, if, if we studied anything for 1,250 hours, of course we would become a leading expert in it. And, Absolutely. Um, that was the day, the first day in my life that it occurred to me that I could make a difference, that I could actually sort of be somebody. And that rearranged my entire belief system about myself and my future and what I was going to do. My dad was a telephone repairman. You know, I didn't have any role models that I could readily reach out to of someone who owned a business or was a big level, high level leader or something like that. Nobody I knew was wealthy. So I just started doing what the man on the radio said, spending an hour, sometimes two and three and four hours on weekends, an hour a day, every day, studying the field of personal development because I wanted to do what the guy on the radio was doing, but I had no idea what that meant. It just felt right. And so I became literally, I mean, in the dictionary, literally, fanatical about personal development for five consecutive years. Some of my friends drifted away. They didn't, you know, I was too much for them. Other friends were drawn toward me because they too were interested in personal development and seeking success skills. 
And um, so we started collaborating, and before long I had pretty much like a mastermind alliance of, of new friends and still was good friends with my, my older crew, but I didn't run with them anymore. And my life started changing fast. I got promotions. I got new opportunities. Things opened up. I became a trainer teaching other people's courses. I did 400 free training seminars, which I was leading. Someone else's training seminars that I was teaching for the JCs, the Junior Chamber of Commerce. And I did that in a two-year period. And um, by the end of that two years, man, I was loaded for bear. I knew what I was doing. I knew which direction I wanted to go with my life. And since that time, I've written 19 books, delivered 3,200 professional speeches around the world, um, been inducted in the Speaker Hall of Fame, the Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame, been president of the National Speakers Association, and next Friday, I'm leaving for yet another three-week tour of China, my third trip this year. So that's, that's me. This is, in, this is incredible. I mean, it's, it's, your story is unbelievable. So what, I know, what age, and I'm the same what, way you are. Seriously, I look at that and I think, no. But it's all true. And plus, I play rock and roll and sing in nightclubs, and I, I ride motorcycle, a motorcycle, and uh, I, um, I do mountain trail running with a group of friends three days a week at sunrise to stay fit. So here I am, 72 years old, 30-inch waist, and at 26 years old, I had a 38-inch waist, and that was tight. And uh, I've been in shape ever since about 1977. Wow. And so at what age did you really start uh, becoming successful? Early 30s? Uh, 29 or 30, right about in there. The first year that I became a full-time professional speaker and trainer, you know, just going out and doing uh, seminars, workshops, and and speeches for a living, I made $18,000. And luckily, my wife was a secretary, and she made ten thousand. So between the two of us, we had twenty-eight, and a little baby at home, and we were just starting out, of course. So our expenses weren't much. But uh, and this was a long time ago, so today it'd probably be double that amount. But still, it wasn't much money. So the second year, my business was really catching on because I was working so diligently about it. You know, focused on it every day and learning from everybody I could possibly listen to. And um, at first teaching other people's courses and then developing my own many years later. So year two, I made $28,000, and my wife had quit her job and worked part-time to help me. The third year, I made 64000 The fourth year, 89000 The fifth year, 106000 And then it went on up from there. Wow. I mean, it just, in those days, that was a lot of money. No, it was. And I moved from Little Rock, Arkansas to Tulsa, Oklahoma, lived six years in Tulsa, then moved to San Diego. And I've been in California ever since. Now I'm in Ventura County, just north of LA. So, and you've written 19 books? And I've got seven in the works. Three of which I'm co-authoring. 
<laughs> Absolutely incredible. Explain, well, explain when you about. When... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead with the question. I was going to ask you, uh, what do most of these books entail? Like marketing and well, sales, different they're sales? All, they're all about how to succeed. And they focus on different areas. For example, one one set of two books is called, and it, and it counts as one, is called What to Do When You Are the Speaker. And it's 54 lessons on what to do when you're the person giving a speech or a presentation and everybody's going to be looking at you. And then there's another book that I spent nine years researching, and it's called The Acorn Principle. And I did that with a team of psychological researchers. And that's basically a a self-guided tour of all the different things that make you who you are. And then I've got a book called Relationship Selling, which I wrote on my own long ago and then rewrote and rewrote and rewrote, and it's become an international bestseller. And um, also it's become a video series, an audio series, a a course, you know, a whole bunch of things. And then I wrote one year before last called the Self-Motivation Handbook. There's 336 one-minute ideas on how to motivate yourself or others to do what needs to be done when you don't feel like it yet. Wow. I mean, you, you, I tell you, man, you are – you're incredible. And, and I'll explain to everybody, you know – the this obviously you've done a lot of great you've made a lot of great investments in your life you've you've yep. done a lot of good deals in business you've uh, what, I've what also are lost a lot deals that you've done oh of course of well course. you know I, I, yeah I, the most exciting well. deal of late has been uh, five years ago I was at the speakers National Speakers Association convention that's four thousand professional speakers and authors entertainers and, and uh, researchers and people like that. And uh, I'm a past national president of that group. And I was at the meeting in San Diego that year, and uh, a colleague walked up, and he said, I'd like you to meet Dr. David Chu. And I said, hi. And he said, "Uh, David's from China, and he owns a a speakers bureau in Shanghai, and he only books the top speakers in the world, and he wants to talk to you. And I thought, well, that's a high compliment. So I said, who do you book now? And he said, well, Mark Victor Hansen, co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul with Jack Canfield, uh, Tom Hopkins, uh, best-known sales trainer in the world, um, John Gray, who wrote the Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus couples communication series, Brian Tracy, who's a motivational speaker and friend of mine, uh, Bob Proctor, who was in a movie called The Secret and talks about mindset for success. And um, he said, he said, Jim, I've been following you for a few years now, and I have a space for one more speaker in my bureau. I only represent 10 at the most, and I have a space for one, and uh, Roger Dawson is number nine. He's a negotiations expert, and you're, you're number 10 if you want it. He said, I've got it down to two people, you and Zig Ziglar, and Zig's getting pretty old. And I said yes, and Zig, a year or so later, passed away, so it was the right choice for David, too. And um, since that time, I've been in 20 – this is four or five years ago. I've been in 20 cities in China. I've spoken to tens or twenties of thousands of of people because when I go there, I speak to 
like uh, this next week, I'm speaking to 5,000 people for two days, two hours each day in Taiwan. And then I'm speaking Mm -hmm. to 1,000 people in Shanghai, and I'm doing a three-day seminar on a cruise on the Yangtze River. So, wow. You know, I mean, and that's all, all the isn't Jim wonderful stuff. But there's also an ugly underbelly side where I lost $300,000 by trusting a guy who basically was looking to exploit the fact that I was president of the National Speakers Association at the time. And he used that to get some other people to give him money. And, to, you know, we got to a point and I, I turned around to him and I said, you know what, our, our deal isn't working for me because I'm doing all the selling, generating all the revenue, and I'm not building any equity. He said, well, Jim, I didn't make a bad deal. You did. I said, what? He said, the fact that you made a stupid deal is not my problem. I said, well, it wasn't a moment ago, but it is now because we're done. And I had to walk away from hundreds of thousands of dollars. I had mortgaged my home to get into that deal. So that hurt. So I've made big, stupid mistakes, and I've made smart choices too. And thank God I've had 51% to the good so that I'm ahead of the game instead of behind. Yeah, I I hear you. And I I want to ask you, you know, you've been featured in all the big – business newspapers and magazines and yeah. you've you've given speeches for the biggest organization which is called TEDx and you've probably shared oh, yeah. the stage with some of the some of the biggest names in the industry right like i mean celebrities athletes True. you've been around everyone oh yeah yeah movie stars rock and roll people and authors and presidents and people like that one of one of my friends is is the son of Ronald Reagan Michael Reagan um, you know, I've, I've I've had the chance to connect with some just amazing people over the years. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's been something. That's for sure. <laughs> and you know, you know, explain. So, what what are you doing uh, to like it currently, like present in the present? I mean, what besides? I, I know you're giving speeches well, all the time. Are you got yeah. you got any projects going on? I do. Uh, Today, I drove from Thousand Oaks, California to San Diego and back, which is about seven hours behind the wheel. And I rented a car from Hertz to drive down to San Diego to buy a a used Jaguar XK8, which is a a real long, sleek-looking sports car. And um, when I went to Hertz, they said, you've reserved a Chevy Malibu um, would you be interested in driving a uh, Dodge Challenger? And I said, yeah, that'd be fine. And they said, okay, we have one that needs to go to San Diego, and, and uh, it's good that you can drive it. And I go out to the parking lot, and it's a Hemi. It's a monster muscle car that they would normally rent for probably 400 bucks a day, and I'm getting it for like $100. And I got behind the wheel of that thing, and it goes, <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is going to be a good day. So I drove that fun car all the way to San Diego and then turned it in and, and uh, bought the Jaguar and drove it back. So I've got stuff like that going on, and then I'm working. I've, I've got two video series, one in the U.S. and one in China, 
I've created 176 very short video lessons in the U.S. that I'm mm-hmm. uploading into a, a system where people can subscribe and watch a few of them every day over an extended period of time. And there are, yeah. you know, lessons on the things that I talk about in my books. And then I have a similar series in China that I've done with Chinese subtitles where I'm speaking English and they're reading Chinese. Very, very nice. And, you know, I, I was just reading, you got inducted into the Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame in 2012. You also yeah. are in the Professional Speaker Hall of Fame, uh, and you've gotten the Golden mm-hmm. Gavel Award. I mean, you, you've uh, had all these Yeah, that's for Toastmasters International. Yep. And you've been listed the as one Cabot of the top Award. 25 speakers. And you've been listed as one of the top 25 speakers the last couple of years. That's incredible. It added like thousands yeah, like five and thousands. years in a row. That's that's yeah. That, that's quite a privilege. I was looking at the list, and they were, you know, they numbered them one through 25. And uh, in the latest list that I saw, Anderson Cooper, you know, the news guy. He was yeah, number ten. I was number I, I was number nine. Woo-hoo. Oh wow. Wow. Now that yeah. that is in that's incredible. I know because he's got you know a platform that's available to everybody on earth whereas I don't. I want to we definitely have a lot of people that have questions for you. Uh Dr. Branch, go ahead. Good. Yeah. First of all, I'd like to say uh, it's an honor speaking with you. Um oh, you know, you. big fan of yours. Um uh, I uh, a little bit about me is uh, you know I'm a writer. I also speak mm-hmm. at international business conferences. Uh, it's funny you mentioned David Chu. He he spoke uh, a couple times uh, where I was at uh, on how to build relationships with China. Uh, wow! And I love how he I love how he brings things down to just like you. He brings things down to understandable levels you know he, yeah. he came out and he said in china yes means no no means maybe and maybe means it will never happen it was funny at the time i was uh, uh a dean of an international business school and uh you know we were looking to break into china and how to get relationships there and that, mm-hmm. that that gave me a clear path on how to do it. So he's That's a brilliant awesome. man, and uh, yeah, you know, and, and it, yeah. it, 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 it's interesting that you're associated with him too. I, I you know, he, and, is, uh, he has become one of my closest friends, truly. Oh, mean, I, we are brothers, brothers from another side of the world, as he says. <laughs> and by the way, David and I are collaborating on a book right now. I own the the uh, trademark relationship intelligence and we're uh-huh. taking the concept of, of guanji which is basically relationship accounting in china and uh mm-hmm. we're blending that with relationship intelligence the way i treat it and uh, probably have a book in the next year year and a half what a see, small what a world lot of listeners what a lot of listeners won't understand from that is relationships in china is everything you know, when oh, you talk yeah. about, well, we have contracts in America, and you were speaking about the one that you got burnt on in that, and we've all been mm-hmm. there, maybe not to the tune of 300000 but I've been burnt on contracts myself. And mm-hmm. uh, But in China, it's relationships. 
relationships yep. on how you form a relationship means everything in China. And uh, yep. I thought that was really interesting. He's a brilliant man. I can't wait to read your book, uh, the, the, the one that you two are collaborating on. Thank you. Um, what was the school you were affiliated with at the time you met him? Well, I, I, I work at Liberty University, Grand Canyon University, and at that time it was North Central University. So Outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, actually we met up in Toronto. Love it. Uh, he was affiliated with uh, mm-hmm. um, Canadian, uh, the Canadian School of Technology uh, dealing out of uh, uh, Beijing, China. So I, I thought yeah. that was interesting. He helped Harvard actually get set up over there as well, advising them. So yeah, I, I thought MIT that was really interesting. And, yeah. Exactly. Doing? Well, exactly. thank you. I really appreciate and, uh, you sharing that. Can't wait to I'll read your book on that. Oh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. And if anybody ever well, wants to do business in China, I'd suggest reading your future book that's going to come out. So, Thank you. Yeah. Just stay tuned to cathcard.com, and, and I'll have it posted on there. Uh, Gianni, Gianni, New, uh, Gianni in New York, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, to tag on with uh, Mr. Branch, like, it's an honor to be speaking to you right now, man. If my father finds out who I'm talking Thank to, you. he's going to lose his mind. My father <laughs> has all his books from the 80s, from the oh, 80s and the 90s. It. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy that I'm talking to you well, right now. Give, uh, your, give your father a big bear hug for me. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, Do that. Yeah, so one of, the, one of my favorite books that you did, I forgot who you did it with. You did it with other people, I think, Getting Things Done. And you did yeah. it with some other people or something like that. Yeah, but that, that was, was one a of my multi-authored book. Yep. Yeah, Brian yeah. Tracy and I were on the cover, and some other people. Yeah. I'll yeah, absolutely. Thank that you was one for of my remembering that. Cool. Yeah, that, that was one of my really favorite books that I read out of your uh, collection. And so I, I think one of the biggest questions I have is, you know, since you're doing the motivational speaking and everything in that nature. When it comes to the economy, like we know that the mm-hmm. economy, you know, is doing well or whatever right now, but I feel yeah. like the millennial generation is really somehow struggling with that getting things done attitude. It's kind of like it's just it is what it is, and you know, people are staying home with their mother till they're like thirty years old. They're not doing anything. <laughs> they're not creating like past generations, and it's just like uh, what no, is going on. By the way. By the way, shame on mom for letting them stay home for the, until they're 30 years old. My Absolutely. mother let me come, mother and dad let me come back for three months one time when I had a, a, a you know, a financial setback as a newlywed. But uh, the, the idea of me being there at age 30 for an extended time, they would have said, boy, you can sleep in the backyard, but don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah. I love I, it. You know, I love the it. question: What what is it? What's going on with the millennials? Well, our society has has become way too willing to support um, um, neediness. You know, when I was growing up, and when my parents were growing up, America was about self reliance. When you were born, you had a job, and that job was to form the right habits so that you could become independent because you're going to be dependent on your parents until you had the right habits. 
But once you've got those habits formed, you can make your own choices and go your own direction. And if you were not self-reliant by the time you became an adult, then you were to, you were a drain on everybody else because somebody else had to take care of you. And I think we need to start that all over again and make it not just something we understand, but something that we talk about as so important that it comes right in next to food on the priority list. Become self-reliant. I told my son, he said, Dad, what if I don't, he's way past this now, he's 48 years old, but when he was in college, he said, what if I don't graduate in four years? I said, that's okay. I said, but at the end of four years, I have graduated and I'll have the checks to prove it. So I'm sending you to school for four years, and that's it. If you don't get it done in four years, you can go back five, seven, 12, 25, but you're paying. And oh, he wow. said, uh, I, I get it. <laughs> right. And my and, wife said, but what if he doesn't graduate? I said, what, do you think he's going to die? No, you know, plus, I mean, whoever got the idea in the first place that, you know, hey, Rory, I I want you to build your muscles. Let me lift some weights for you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. so, So true. Yeah. We become strong by dealing with adversity. And if there is no adversity, then we don't become strong. You have to have yeah. resistance, and you have yeah, to yeah, be right. confused and, and afraid, and you have to be uncertain, and you have to yeah. to encounter things that completely surprise you, and you go, oh, my God, what am I going to do, and find hey, your way out. Yeah, so. Otherwise, you never have confidence. Uh, Kevin. Wow. That, oh, do you have wow. anything else? So, hey, Johnny? It's so great to talk to you. Um, so Thank you. Some, background on me i'm a young leader uh, starting my own kind of uh, field in politics working on building a community disseminating a platform and ideology just building the trust mm-hmm. and motivation within a group and i'd love to hear your insights being a uh, you being such an experienced and well-rounded man especially when it comes to relationships I, i'd love to get your insight as mm-hmm. to what you believe are some of the highest virtues in in building trusted relationships it, well if it's either um being able to communicate or motivate or having just strong moral values or um, just being a, I don't know, a highly moral person? I have a good answer for you. First off, we need to define what is a relationship because most people don't have a quick answer. I've asked, the reason I say that is I've asked thousands and thousands of people, what is a relationship when I was on stage giving speeches? And I've never gotten the same answer from a majority of the audience. So I came up with an answer. Here's what a relationship is. A direct connection between people in which value is exchanged. A direct connection between people, not things, not organizations, because you can't have a relationship with an organization. You can only have a relationship with the people that that are the organization. So direct connection with between people in which value is exchanged. Now, value can be friendship. It can be fun times together. It can be support and encouragement, or it can be money. But if there is no exchange of value, then the relationship doesn't exist. 
So you can have plenty of transactions with people where, you know, good morning, good morning, how are you, fine, how are you? And that's not a relationship. That's simply a transaction, an exchange of, of ritual. But a relationship requires that somebody either say, here, let me help you with that package. Or, hey, I've got an idea that I think you could use. Or, what's going on, man? It looks like you're hurting. Tell me about it. You know, something, some kind of value exchange has to take place in order for that relationship to start forming. And it forms like a little strand of spider web and then another and another until it becomes as strong as a cable and even a major disaster wouldn't break it. So that's the way relationships are built. And if there is no integrity on one side of the relationship, then there is no future on either side of the relationship. So you've got to have integrity as a person. You've got to, at the core of everything else, be willing to do what you say you will do and to, to make things right if you mess things up. And there is no relationship when one person is simply an enabler and the other person is uh, an entitlement junkie. That's not a relationship. Very, very well said. Uh, I do I do want to go to Dr. Bussler. Go ahead. Well, a lot of uh, interesting conversation here, a lot of very, very interesting uh, backgrounds that, that people have. I think it's good that uh, we're able to communicate well with the audience and with each other and share uh, a lot of these uh, experiences. Uh, some of your guests Me here too. have had some, some, yeah, some excellent uh, achievements. Uh, and to get some advice from them for every from uh, from them for everybody, uh, I think is uh, excellent. Uh, and everybody seems to have a, a good view here, um, taking very traditional values and conservative uh, values that most of us have. And as we know, uh, the political climate today is that it's uh, it's very difficult yeah. to keep a lot of those values. Um, Indeed. Uh, yeah. Come with yeah, me to China. I can't wait to see what's happening this time when I get over there and they say, hey, what's up with all the tariffs? And I'm going to say, sorry, I don't talk politics. Nope, not in China. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably uh, the best position to take, uh, uh, trying to discuss what the U.S. is trying to do with the uh, Chinese relationship. Uh, It's extremely difficult when coming from the American side of being in China. I can imagine how how difficult that will that'll be for you. So I imagine when you go there and uh, you're certainly an, an expert in your field and people want to hear it, uh, it's probably a good idea for you to uh, stay a, a little bit away from politics and just stick to what the subject matter is. Yep. Let, let's, let's go to uh, Mike Peters in New York. Mike Peters, go ahead. Hey, hey, Mike. I, I'm, hi, how are you this evening? And, and thank you so much for joining us here. But I was going to ask something right along the same lines. What you mentioned earlier was the political situation. Have you ever had, as you mm-hmm. travel internationally, a government or a political party give you guidelines on what you can and cannot ta- speak about? Big question. Yes. Yeah. And uh, in Iran, a colleague of mine had been over there speaking. He's from Australia. Yeah. And he said, hey, I've told them about you. You should take this. It, it pays really well. And they pay you in a bag of cash at the end of the speech. And then, uh, you know, I told him, I'm really not interested in going there. 
sorry, you know, not even for a big bag of cash. And then he called me like three months later and he said, hey, I was just released from prison in Iran. I went over there and I was speaking. And in the middle of my speech, officials came forward and ended my speech and took me away, interrogated me for hours, put me in jail. And I spent days in jail, in prison, basically, uh, being interrogated. And finally, they released me and I was able to get out of the country. He said, so be wow. glad Mike, you didn't do it. Holy Mike, there's something echoing. Is that, your, is that your end, Mike? There's something echoing. No. No, I don't have a speaker on or anything. It's not me. Okay, might be I don't have any speakers. I've got, head, I've got headphones on. Um, you're, okay. you're, lucky, you're lucky you didn't go. You're, you're really lucky you didn't Indeed. go. And, and I was thinking um, uh, something like that would be unbelievable. I mean, uh, but oh, Europe yeah. and the rest of the countries, you have no guidelines. Nobody's, they're not coming down no, on you saying, I, I giving you a list. Even in, even in Venezuela, which was during the Hugo Chavez era, I was down there right. speaking to 800 people at a big international conference, and um, um, the only problem I had was customs officers at the ho- at the airport tried to get me to give them all my American money in exchange for bolivares. They told me it's the law; you have to do it. And I said, "Well, then I'll just I'll just get back on the plane." And they said, well, no, you know, come with me. And they were going to take me to someone else who was also in on the scam. And uh, we saw my, my host, just the other side of customs. And I said, hey, wow. there's my host. And I walked over, and, and that resolved the whole thing. So I was able to get into the country, give my speech, and then get out. But going out, they tried to do it again. I'd never been so happy to leave a place. Beautiful country physically. And the people were wonderful, but... It could be an adventure I could see where it could be an adventure And very dangerous at the same time For even yeah. motivational speeches You're trying to help people and everything else But even that will be twisted and turned I know That's the reasons. irony of it all You know, you're, you're there Given from your heart Given with yep. integrity and, and people are putting spin on it And that's, that's just yep. That's sad Yep you know, I've got a I've got a pin in my collection. I'm rather a bit of a historian. The culture camera. It's a it was a department under the P- Department of Propaganda in Nazi Germany, and I have one of the mm-hmm. pins from that organization. I'm dealing with a collector trying to get an ID book from a gentleman. It had different wow. sections to it. One of them was regarding speech. One of them was art, music, and there were inspectors that could show up at events, and oh with their God. ID and that pin, they could shut it down and get you arrested immediately if they felt it was against party guidelines. So people don't realize, Americans don't understand that, what we have here in this country and how lucky we are. They just don't get it. Well, I know. And and the thing thing is, that was the government they had to be afraid of. You know, people talk about, well, we shouldn't have First Amendment or Second Amendment rights. People shouldn't have guns. Well, excuse me. If if people aren't able to own guns and government is, then the government owns you. Yeah, yes. and government's not always honest. As a matter of fact, has it ever been? Yeah, maybe maybe it's been honest once or twice. But government? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Well, God yeah, bless you and keep up the great work, and I hope you have a safe trip. Thank safe, you. Safe travels. Thank you very uh, much. You too, Mike. We, we do, we do got to let uh, 
Jim Jim go here in a second, but I do want to give Gianni the la- Gianni go ahead, and then we got to go to a commercial and interview uh, introduce our next guest. But Gianni, go ahead. Cool. Um, yeah. So, um, I would say when it when it comes to motivational speaking, also, how did you get a start in that? Like, what what made you want to get into that and like, how did you even get, like, the gigs? Like, were people just inviting you, or were you, like, right. starting on, like, how did that happen? Because, nope. I mean, there was no, hardly no social media at the time. so yeah. you know. there was no I social media at all. It was telephones and, and snail mail. Um, I, I joined a group called the JCs, the Junior Chamber of Commerce, which still exists today, but back then had 350,000 members because of the baby boom. And the JCs are like Kiwanis and Lions and Rotary and all that, but they're for young people. So it's for people under 40, and the purpose of the JCs is not community service, even though that's what they do. The purpose of the JCs is leadership training. So every time you do a project in the community to raise funds for the March of Dimes or to build a a shelter for the homeless or whatever it is you're doing, you submit a plan in advance. You have it approved by the, the leadership team in your chapter. You conduct the project. You evaluate it afterwards, and you submit that, and, and it gets a chance to win an award. So everything they did in the JCs was done to teach a leadership skill. And I was the guy in charge of the leadership training programs. And so I would facilitate the group discussions, talking about leadership, motivation, Uh, public speaking, uh, sales, and things like that. And I I did that on a volunteer basis after work and on weekends. And like I said earlier, in in a two-year period, I did 400 of those meetings for free on my own dime, in my own car, after work, you know, go home, have dinner with my wife and my little baby boy, and then get in the car and go to a JC's meeting in some remote town in Arkansas. I went to 280 different towns in Arkansas, some of which were no bigger than probably the studio you're recording this or broadcasting this from. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, amazing story. We do, we do got to go to a commercial, but Jim, we want to have you back very soon. Please tell everybody where they can, please tell everybody where they can buy your books and connect with you, social media, all that good stuff. Okay, my books, just go to Amazon.com and, and type in Jim Cathcart. Uh, for social media, I am all over the place. Likewise, just Jim Cathcart. LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. And my website is my name, Cathcart.com. So keep it coming. I love that you had so many people calling in. Thank you, Rory, for inviting me to be part of this. Absolutely, and we'll definitely uh, have you back soon. Take care. All right, you too. We will be right back, everybody. Stay tuned. A lot more to get to. Packaging. I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey. I tried the patch. They didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was going to work for me until I tried Chantix. Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. I needed that to quit. 
When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people add changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea. I can't tell you how good it feels to have smoke behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix. Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at SkyRace Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaysSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high-value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the behind-the-scenes production. Everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert, to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. And we are back, the Rory Sauter Show, coast to coast, worldwide, listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenexgenusa.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people that will be doing their own shows on the network. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show... Uh, his first time on the show, very successful, very uh, popular guy, real estate mogul, successful businessman, political commentator, and activist, Barry Nussbaum. How are you, my friend? Welcome to the show. Uh, it's a wonderful evening. Thanks for having me, and I'm doing terrific. 
Well, Barry, since it's your, did I pronounce your last name right? It's Nussbaum, right? You know, my mother used to say Nussbaum. My father used to say Nussbaum, so you can't go wrong, and I'm not going to pick between my parents. So either one of those, <laughs> and you're totally cool with me. <laughs> Perfect, man. So your first time on the show, Barry, uh, I want to get, you know, uh, your background, you know, all the different chapters you've been through, your career, all the, the various accomplishments that you've achieved in your life. Uh, I, I know you have a hell of a story. Well, it's uh, nice of you to ask, and again, thanks for having me on. I've uh, followed your career a bit, and you're you're doing some great, great work, and I appreciate you as all conservatives do. Um, my career has been uh, a myriad of things. I w- I'm going to be uh, addressing a high school class here uh, this week for graduation, and the reason I mention it is that I have been thinking about the rules of success that have worked for me. And uh, so it's been quite several days of uh, sort of reflection of my life that got me to where I am. And I would say without a doubt that anybody that's an American, or in my case, a first-generation American, my parents were immigrants, uh, that has made a success of themselves in the greatest country that has ever been on planet Earth, owes a debt back to this country. And so I'm at that stage in my life where I'm incredibly grateful for the successes I've had and the rest of whatever time I'm given here is about making sure that got what was valuable and, and available for me growing up through my college and graduate school years and my business career that allowed it to be a success remains here for my children and my grandchildren and our grandchildren's grandchildren. And so for me, the rest of my career is about making sure the American dream is available for future generations. That's, That's sort of where I'm coming from. Well, yeah. And, you know, you're, you're a guy of many trades. You know, you've done a lot in your life. You, you've been very successful in real estate. Uh, you've done a lot of stuff in political activism. Uh, you've done quite a bit. Explain that. Well, my my career has had uh, two tracks running parallel since college. I I went to a school that is renowned for the last, say, 50 years as being a conservative constitutional, you better be ready to work your ass off institution. And um, I was very fortunate that the professors I had in a very small environment taught me the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, what were the founders thinking. So I started my career in politics, ironically, working in the legislature in Sacramento while I was still in college. And then after college, that career continued for 40 years, while at the same time, the dual track was I went out into the business world and made something of myself. Um, I've had a lot of different business experiences. Um, I was the youngest sales manager in the history of the National Basketball Association. That was a wild 
trip for a young man. NBA? Uh, of 22 and 20. Yeah, NBA, yes. Um, so wait, say that, I was, say, say uh, that again. I, That's pretty I, impressive. Say that again. I was the youngest sales manager in the history of the National Basketball Association. I was 22 and 23 wow. years old. Um, happened to meet the right people and stumbled into an opportunity that I was able to put together on the simple offer to the NBA owner of the team, which happened to be the Clippers, by saying, don't pay me a salary. Don't pay me a guarantee. Give me a commission. I'll earn the money for you. And it turned out to be a terrific opportunity. And I got to know uh, a number of superstars around the league. And I spent several years traveling with the team and meeting the players and the managers and the coaches and the scouts and the agents and so on until I got to the point that I didn't want to be in the professional babysitting business anymore, but I really enjoyed it. Um, my real estate career has, has spanned uh, about 40 years in a number of states across the country in the apartment business, offices, uh, development, housing, renovation. Uh, we still have quite a bit of holdings in a number of places, um, but those things are means to an end. And what I mean by that is what are you going to do with that? It gives you power. Power gives you the opportunity to make choices. And my choice is to invest the time I have, the influence I have, and the ability to communicate that I have to teach people about America. And the, and the truly, in my opinion, and I think you would agree with me, Roy, the threats that are facing America that are unprecedented um, in American history, certainly over at least 100 years. Wow. Wow. Very, very, very powerful stuff. And, you know, with, with your political activism, you know, you've, you've been going on a lot of shows for quite some time. You've been, being, you've been giving your insight for many years. Uh, explain, that, explain that a little bit, that part of your career. Sure. You know, in the way it started for me, um, I, I got active in politics by writing and researching legislation in Sacramento. And I, I didn't know anything about politics. I was a young, naive kid, and I didn't know Democrat from Republican. I didn't know liberal from conservative. My education had taught me American principles, but I didn't understand that those principles are very rarely incorporated into political uh, strategies and um, legislation. In other words, the the gut morality for most politicians is based on uh, self advancement of their career, reelection, and what's the next thing they can run for. And so I went into that process very naively. I ended up writing speeches for. Um, the uh, the GOP in Sacramento, I actually worked on the other side of the aisle from Jerry Brown when he was governor the first time. And over the course of that career developing, I ended up uh, working for the governor of California, uh, actually four different gubernatorial terms. I worked for um, 
three Democratic governors and uh, one Republican governor. So uh, as I like to say, I go both ways in politics as long as I don't have to compromise my values. And, and I ended up with one of the most powerful jobs in the state of California for about 13 years, which is uh, the administrator for the governor, working directly for the governor, administering the uh, most successful racetrack in America and uh, the most financially successful fairgrounds, which is in San Diego, the Del Mar Fairgrounds. So I ran the racetrack, which had a handle of about a half a billion dollars a year, and uh, the fairgrounds, which had an annual budget that I used to sign off on at about $85 million. And um, I took the politics out of it. And I, I, I used to see people making decisions strictly on sort of a team loyalty. In other words, mm-hmm. Uh, if you were a Democrat, then Republicans suck. And if you were a Republican, then Democrats suck. And I, I tried to lead based on policy rather than um, this idiotic methodology that most people have, which is, I love the Dodgers, I hate the Padres, and that's the way they treated politics. So you end up with good and bad in both parties. And when I actually started, I, I, the first governor I worked for was Gray Davis, who was kind of a moderate Democrat, and he used to introduce me at functions with national politicians and donors. In fact, I was at the the National Democratic Convention in Los Angeles in the governor's box when Clinton got the nomination, and uh, I was introduced to everybody as his conservative in his cabinet. So, um, which I took great pride in because to me conservative meant you understand why there's an America and what the Bill of Rights is and what the constitutional guarantees are and so on. Whereas most of the people that were supporting him were about the government needs to spend more money, it needs to provide more services, uh, it needs to pay for things that I don't have the money for or the inclination to earn myself, and I was the other guy. So, um, ironically, because I wasn't partisan, I was more philosophical, uh, I managed to stay there for 13 years until I was um, dismissed in my fourth term by Jerry Brown, which I still carry as a badge of honor, (laughs) because my political philosophy was um, intolerable to the then governor of California. So I, I did that, and that, that branched into uh, being in the White House with a couple of different presidents and advising on political campaigns and gubernatorial campaigns and senatorial campaigns and congressional campaigns. Yeah, I, I sat with the prime minister, uh, several prime ministers of Israel, um, and I've been in the Oval Office with the president on both parties, by the way, uh, because I'm... I'm issue-oriented rather than partisan, and I I think that allows me more accessibility because I'm not wearing a Republican or Democratic hat. I'm I'm more of a political philosopher that wants people to understand why this country is so great and what the values are and what we must do to protect them, and quite honestly – um, most politicians are, as I often say, what do you do the day you get elected, Rory? You celebrate, you have a cocktail, and then you plan your reelection. 
And literally, I've been in I've, <laughs> I've been in victory parties where that literally takes place. How are we going to be reelected? How are we going to put together the campaign? And and I'm there <laughs> saying, hey guys, uh, the election was seven hours ago. We're already running for reelection, and that's the way it is in America. For many people, not you know, everybody, but most. You know, it's so true, and uh, you know you've. God, you you've done so much, and what what uh, what different campaigns did you work on? Some of the some of the uh, different presidents you advised. Uh, well, I, a couple examples are when when Mitt was running, um, I I ended up being fairly close to him and and, and the people around him uh, on the issue of the American Israel relationship. And that's yes. sort of my specialty. I, it's, it's maybe the most important international relationship that, that America has. Israel is the front line against terror. It's the canary in the coal mine against Islamic terrorism. And uh, Mitt really got that. Um, on the subject of understanding the value of the strategic relationship between the United States and Israel, with the exception of Donald Trump, I have never heard of a national leader that got it better than Mitt. Now, you may have many disagreements with Mitt on other policy, but that was my issue with him, and that's what, what we talked about. So, sadly, on the night that he lost quite badly to Barack Obama, I spent the night that evening with his family, and we watched the returns come in, and it was a sad night, I can tell you that. Um, on the other hand, I can, there have been other campaigns that I've worked on where I know I had the influence of that subject matter because that is my, um, I'd say, my sweet spot and what I want to spend my time on. So I have connections throughout Israel within the government, within the military, within intelligence, and so on. Um, my kids are there. Um, and... It's a it's a very very special place and it's very very important to the United States. I more so than I would say the vast majority of, of Americans have any idea. Yeah, and, and how you know, speaking of the speaking of the Middle East, I mean, what 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 are your thoughts on everything that's going on? All the madness. I mean, Christians are getting killed every second. You have and you have Jews getting targeted every second. Uh, you know, and I know this is one of the things that, uh, in a lot of ways, you specialize in is uh, some of the stuff that's going on in the Middle East. Yeah, that's a very good question, Rory, and it, it saddens me a great deal, and it's a reflection of the media here in the United States. Um, Christians are being destroyed, and I mean that yeah. word speaking, literally. Speaking in exact the numbers, the, there, there, has been, there has been in the last – um, in the last couple of weeks during, however you pronounce it, I think it's Ramadan, uh, they have Ramadan. been killing Ramadan. hundreds and hundreds of Christians. It's crazy. Go ahead, though. Sorry. Yeah, that is exactly – you're very intuitive. That is exactly what I was going to address. So in Ramadan, which is going on uh, just recently for is Islam, if you – this is Quranic, from the Quran. If you commit an act to advance Islam during Ramadan, 
you get, this is kind of a loose translation, I'm putting it in air quotes, bonus points. So if you raid a Christian village in, say, Africa, and you kill everybody that's praying in that church, bonus points, baby, bonus points for killing Christians during Ramadan, okay? The Christian communities throughout North Africa and in the surrounding countries, Syria, Iraq, Iran, especially Africa, have been wiped out, slaughtered. But you know what? With the exception of, say, activist pastors in the United States and people like me that are screaming into the forest, mass media isn't reporting it. It's not news. Christians getting slaughtered. And I mean men, women, children lined up and machine gunned or hacked up with machetes because they don't want to waste bullets. People don't read about that. What happened is you had a a mass shooting, a couple of, uh, uh, of terroristic incidents against Muslims, and that's front page news, and the whole world, including the U.N., take it up. But when was the last time, Rory, you heard about the U.N. having a special hearing in the Human Rights Commission about the slaughter of Christians, the destruction of churches. Look, the, the church Notre Dame that was destroyed by fire, that made the news not because it was a church, not because it was the most famous church in France, but because it was a historical landmark. Now, here's the news that most people don't know. There's over 100 churches that have been burned in France this year. Catholic churches. There's a church attacked and a priest physically knifed every two weeks in France. Their their throats slit, stabbings, beatings. You see it in the New York Times? Do you see it in the Washington Post? Do you see it in CNN? No not the narrative. So the narrative is, oh, we have to be an inclusive, progressive, non-discriminatory society. When did Christians become the I don't care disposable group from around the world? When did that happen exactly? Because that's the reality of the way things are today. The reason I don't mention Jews in my answer to your question, Rory, is there aren't any Jews in those countries. They were driven out, run out, or slaughtered after the founding of the state of Israel. There's not a Jew in Jordan or Syria or Iraq. Well, there's a few in Iraq. And these African countries, they're all gone. They've, they've already been killed or driven out. The Christians that stayed are now the ones being slaughtered by the Muslims. And why is it nobody cares? Yeah, it, 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 really, it really is mind-blowing. It, it really is. And uh, I want to go to Dr. Branch. Go ahead. 
First of all, I want to thank you very much for being here tonight. It's been really interesting. Uh, up until probably the last 10 minutes, I had one question for you, but then everything turned towards uh, the, the death of Christians, and it kind of makes my question seem uh, kind of ill real. You cut, Dr. Branch, you cut now. You, now you're good. Uh, now I you're, hope that you I don't know why it does that. Good. Um, I, I, we have talked many times on this show about the death of Christians uh, and also the mass slaughterings that are going on. And you have a prior administration that, you know, when uh, you had this Easter massacre in Sri Lanka, uh, they didn't even call it, uh, you know, death of Christians. They said East, Easter worshipers. Um, and, you know, to me, uh, you're absolutely right. It doesn't play into their narrative. You have uh, Muslim congressmen now that are saying that their, their, their ancestors gave up their homes to help the Jews form their, uh, you know, th their place in Israel, when in fact her ancestors were helping Hitler uh, exterminate Jews. So, you know, that's it's just a narrative that the left is just trying to make up, and people are just believing it. Now, the question that I had for you prior to, prior to uh, you, you getting on this subject, because I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a, uh, I'm a professor, I teach leadership to the, to the doctorate level, and I was interested, right off the bat, you said that you're going to speak to a high school uh, this week regarding success, then you then you started speaking on uh, basketball and how you were in the NBA as far as in, in the sales and marketing and that. Um, every time that I look at success, I go to, uh, you know, Coach Wooten uh, from UCLA. Uh, you know, he spoke a lot <laughs> on success. He had his pyramid for success. And it says success is the peace of mind in which – uh, direct results of self-satisfaction uh, and knowing that you made the effort to become the best that you are capable of becoming. Uh, and to me, you know, listening to his motivational speaking, listening to his uh, pyramid of success, listening to his TED Talks, he's very inspirational on success because he is one of the most successful basketball coaches in history. Uh, he had perfect seasons, but even though he had perfect seasons, people said that he wasn't successful because he did not uh, he he did not uh, meet the point spread in some of his games. So he says you can win and still lose, and you can st and you can lose and still win. Uh, but it's just knowing that you made the effort to become the best that you could possibly be uh, makes you successful. So. When you're speaking to these 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 youngsters this week in high school, what is your definition of success? Well, you know, I, thanks for the question, and you're about to be very surprised about my answer, uh, and more so than you can imagine. Uh, as I said, when I worked in the NBA, I was there at the Clippers during the Bill Walton days, who became a friend. Mm -hmm. Bill Walton said the most important person in his life was the man you just mentioned, John Wooden, who taught these young men to be men first and then basketball players. He taught them rules of life and ethics and personal achievement and teamwork and 
how they could be something they never imagined being. And to him, teaching somebody to be a better person was better than being a better basketball player. And, and I remember talking to Bill, and he used to tell John Wooden's stories, that he would call Coach Wooden all the time when he was in the NBA. And after he'd won MVP and after he'd won the title, he still would talk to Wooden. So it's interesting how these great teachers, whether they're somebody like you that, that teaches kids directly or teaches kids through sports, or me making a speech, what I'm going to talk about this coming week is how I've got about 10 or 11 rules that I'm going to discuss that have been successful for me, but one of them is the basic concept of keep your own counsel. I have been so involved in media for so long, and I've seen so much lying and and repositioning of the news so that when I was a young man, or I was a child, actually, I used to watch the news with my mom and dad, and there was a guy named Walter Cronkite who just read the news. And you knew because it was Walter Cronkite, it was the truth. Now, granted, he probably had his biases, too. And looking back in historical context, we know that to be true. But today, the news is part what happened and part where you hear it because the news outlets are news makers. For example, this Christian massacre stories that we've been talking about, some people call it terrorism. Some people call it a crazed gunman. Nobody seems to want to say it's an Islamic teaching to kill infidels during Ramadan because if you do that, you go right to paradise, and you get the 72 virgins, and you get everything you wanted. You don't hear that on the news. It's a crazed person who's mentally ill. Very true. Uh, Kevin, Kevin, go ahead. Kevin, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I'd love to hear about uh, some of your insight relating to – how your connections with uh, Israel and all those institutions have been uh, beneficial towards your career and uh, and for you to elaborate on the um, how Israel is uh, more important to Americans' interest than uh, than the Americans will ever know because I think this is a very uh, uh, interesting topic. Well, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. It's a great question. Uh, I, I did a show the other day on another, actually, television network And the night before I did the show, I talked to a friend of mine who's a brigadier general in the Air Force in Israel. And I was talking to him about what's going on with Iran, because President Trump has been making a lot of noise about certain intelligence that Iran is about to strike back at the West, specifically Saudi Arabia as a proxy to the United States because of Trump's imposition of sanctions vis-a-vis the Iran nuclear deal, right? And and what the general told me, and I can't quote him, but I can't quote his name, but I can tell you what he said. He's a friend of mine, um, is that Iran 
blew up three tankers. And the reason they did it is to put fear into the tanker owners and the tanker owner countries that moving oil in the Persian Gulf is subject to Iranian interference. Okay? And then and then they sent drones into Saudi Arabia to blow up several pipelines. Now these these are acts of war. This isn't some minor terrorism, you know, a crazed gunman in a gay nightclub shooting people in the name of Allah. This is this is an act of war perpetrated by a state, in this case Iran, that is the leading sponsor of terrorism in the world. And it's not even open to dispute, notwithstanding the fact that right. they sit on the Human Rights Commission, you know, because right. the UN is just a, a clown car. But here's the, here's the bottom cool. line. Trump yeah. is right. He's 100% right on this. I, I challenge anybody to dispute the facts that Bolton and Pompeo and Pence and Trump are talking about in regards to Iran. Iran is in a desperate financial condition because of the sanctions, because they are reinvigorating their nuclear capabilities. They are enhancing uranium well beyond what they are allowed to do. And as a result, they're on their way to a bomb. Trump knows it. CIA knows it, NSA knows it, and Israel knows it because they've got people in Iran reporting it. So Israel is on the front lines, and their intelligence is talking to our intelligence, and I mean constantly. So when Trump says we have information, he's not just making this stuff up and tweeting about it at 4 in the morning. He's literally sending a message, don't screw with us. Rouhani right. don't screw with us. Khomeini don't screw with us. Iran will cease to exist. God forbid you send one of those drones against the Abraham Lincoln that's in the Gulf right yeah. now. I've been on the Lincoln. I spent the night on that ship. I met the commander and the captain and the XO, and I know what that ship's capable of. That ship alone and its carrier support group could destroy that country in two hours. I mean, there would be nothing left except villages in the countryside. And for the first time in a very long time, the United States has a commander-in-chief that is not kowtowing to terrorists. Remember, exactly. Obama flew billions of dollars into Tehran. To Iran in cash. In, in pallets of cash. Untraceable, yeah. not authorized by Congress, not authorized yeah. by the Treasury. He put it together in the middle of the night and flew the money there. And when they wanted more yeah. money, he sent more money. And what did he get yeah. in return? He got the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the biggest capitulation in world political history since 1938, when the Prime Minister of England returned from Berlin after meeting with Adolf Hitler and said, there will be peace in our time. And that idiot is the reason that Hitler 
invaded Poland on September 1st, 1939, and started World War II that killed 100 million people. Why? Because when you appease evil, it encourages evil. And that is what the previous administration did with Iran. So when you have Israel, for example, what they did, what, a year ago when Bibi went on the national news and said, you're not going to believe what just happened. Right. The Mossad took tons, not pounds, tons of documents out of the nuclear program warehouse in Iran that proves they have more centrifuges than the United States knows. They have more enhancement of uranium than the United States knows. They have a secret bomb program in this place, in this place, in this place. They have a secret intercontinental ballistic missile program that the West doesn't know about. Here's all the evidence. Remember, he did that at the UN. I mean, it was a startling speech. So what happens? Trump believes him. And Western Europe goes, well, you know, we just signed deals with Mercedes and we want to make jets for them and we want to put in pipelines and maybe it's not as bad as the Israelis say. And besides, they haven't really threatened Western Europe, so maybe we can still make a deal. Right. And one guy Um, stands up to them. Which is yeah, Trump. No, you're absolutely and that's right. Because I, of I Israeli got, intelligence. I do got to take a one-minute commercial, and then I want to come back and get. Uh, I know Dr. Bussler and uh, Mike Peters from New York have a lot of thoughts, so I'll be right back in one minute. Everybody, stay with us. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from the Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, Please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com for all your authentic, customized, and creative President Trump apparel and merchandise. You won't find products like this anywhere else. And best part of all, it's made here right in the USA. Use Mega45 at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com today for a wide variety of great selections. Thank you. And we are back, the Rory Sodder Show, coast-to-coast, border-to-border, worldwide, listened to in 23 different countries, on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenextgenusa.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people that will be doing their own shows on the network. And I can't wait to share all the details. Uh, I do want to go to uh, Dr. Bussler. Go ahead. I know you have quite a few thoughts. Go ahead. Yeah, I know we're running short on time here, and I've been listening very attentively to all the discussions and the uh, interesting backgrounds. You know what what comes to mind is uh, behind a lot of uh, some of the things we're talking about today uh, is a, a, a change in values. 
you know, it was mentioned before how people took more individual responsibility. And now, um, especially with the Democratic Party, we're leaning more towards social responsibility. In fact, the prior administration, uh, their whole economic policy was really geared toward curing these uh, perceived social injustices, taking care of uh, other people, at least having the government take care of them rather than individual responsibility. And when you take a look at what really made the country great, I mean, uh, as you know, I have an uh, economics background, so I, I look at the uh, economy, and I've mentioned on the show before, the U.S. went from uh, the birth of a nation to the number one economy in the world in about 150 years. Um, other countries were hundreds, in some cases thousands of years older. Uh, we did that because we had the uh, principles of uh, freedom, individual freedom, and with that came individual responsibility um, and a very limited role for government, which allowed for uh, low rates of taxation. Those are the things, I think, that made uh, our economy great. And everything that Democrats are proposing here, uh, all their policies are all exactly uh, uh, opposite to those principles. They want to give us less freedom, less individual responsibility, larger role for government, and eventually higher rates of taxation for for, for all of us. And I think the whole thing really starts with uh, people being willing to accept individual responsibility and saying, you know, it's not somebody else's fault if something doesn't go right for me. I made the decisions that uh, resulted in me being here, and I've got to take individual uh, responsibility. Getting back to some of those values, I think, will uh, help fix a lot of the uh, uh, division even that we have within this country. Yeah, you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Uh, Mike Peters in New York, and, and Mike, before you before you, uh, well, actually, Dr. Butler, just because we're running short on time, just in case I don't get yeah. back to you, please tell everybody where they can find you. So on Twitter, it's at m b u s l e r at m Bustler m b u s l e r, and if you're on Facebook, search Funding Democracy. You see my columns, and you can follow me. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, Mike Peters in New York, and I just want to say, uh, uh, before you go, Mike, uh, before you talk, I just want to say, um, today it came out that uh, the there was there was a poll, and I'm looking at it right now. Um, it said, academic studies shows that President Trump has made America less racist. I just wanted to throw that out there. That was an interesting study that came out today. But, uh, Mike Peters, go ahead. Your thoughts on everything we've been talking about. I'm really glad to hear that, that the discussion is really out there about what's going on, the truth with Iran, and, and it counters everything that the media has been putting out there. And sometimes, I mean, a lot of people, are, a lot of my friends even up here, as I always say, they judge things that happen on the international stage based on how they live their lives here in America, and you can't do that. You can't even judge history uh, through the eyes using, using today's lenses, through today's values, of the way that we live today. So they consider that everything in Iran is just like here in the United States, and it's one big world, and it's Disneyland and everything, and they have no clue of what these countries are up to and what they're like and what it's like dealing with them. So uh, thank you very much for speaking out and getting the word out there as well. You, we're not the only ones out there beating the drum, so to speak, and trying to get the information and the truth out there. Thank you. Well said, Mike. Well said. I do got to close pleasure. out. 
I do want to, uh, Barry, I want to say thank you for coming on, man. It was an honor. I do want to make you a regular, have you back on more often. Uh, but please tell everybody where they can connect with you, buy your products, uh, yeah, and get involved. The easiest way, Rory, thank you for that opportunity, is literally type into your browser, findberry.com. That'll take you to American Truth Project. That's our homepage. You'll see our issues. You'll see our shows. I think we've got maybe 600 shows on the, uh, on the web between uh, YouTube and Facebook and our home site. So findberry.com takes you to us. Please sign up to get on our mailing list. We never charge for anything we send out. We send out a couple million a month. And uh, we're all about spreading the truth to protect America, to preserve the values that made this country special for all of us that understand that this is the most unique social governmental political experiment in the history of man and we want to make sure it's here forever and that's literally why I do what I do I, lo- I love it man you're an inspiration and I wanted to ask you what what's the latest project you guys are working on for the for the business you know I, expansion because I feel like we're in a race against time do I have a minute to tell a quick story, or we're out of time? I'll tell um, it next time if you do. If you can do it in 30 seconds. I'll tell you quickly. My mother and father su- survived Auschwitz, the most brutal concentration camp in world history. And I said to my mother when she was alive, Mom, why didn't you guys leave when you heard what was going on in Poland? And she said to me, because it was over there, it was a Polish problem, we were Hungarians. I have never forgotten that one line. For all of your listeners that are listening, if they think the problem isn't here, it's over there, they run the risk of ending up like my mother and father. The problem is here. The enemy is here. The war is now. And you either defend the American values that you think are valuable, that gave you the opportunities you've had, or you will lose them. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and we, we need to protect, we need to protect our, our freedom and security. Absolutely. And, and uh, where can people connect with you on social media? Just uh, the best way. We're on Facebook, American Truth Projects on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on okay. YouTube. Just go to just type in findberry.com. It will give you a hyperlink to American Truth Project. You'll see everything there. It's the easiest way to remember. And then you don't have to remember Nussbaumer, Nussbaum, <laughs> like we talked okay. about an hour ago, Rory. Just type in findberry.com, and you'll go right there. All right. Sounds good, Barry. We'll have you back soon, my friend. God bless you, and thank you for coming on. Great. It was wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. I want to I want I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. It's been a fantastic show. Uh, Dr. Branch, please tell everybody where they can find you. Yes, fantastic show tonight. You can find me on uh, follow me on Twitter at Bob Branch. That's B O B B R A N C H. Good night, Rory. Sounds good. We'll talk to you soon, Dr. Branch. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. 
Such a great show, Rory. I don't know where you keep finding all these high-caliber guests. Uh, you can find me at uh, Nationalist United on Facebook or nationalistunited.com. Uh, thanks again. All right. See you Thursday. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Uh, it's been a it's been a fantastic show. Uh, like I do always, I want to thank all my guests, my audience, my co-hosts and sponsors. You're all incredible. And uh, remember, the show is listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And don't forget, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people doing big shows on our network. Uh, the next N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N, USA.com. And remember, you can also go there for 24-7 breaking news coverage, missed past clips, and past episodes. But I'm so excited to share uh, all, all these new notable names and their shows uh, on the network and, and reveal all the details. And I will. I will very soon, probably in the next week or so. So the stuff I didn't get to tonight, I will get to on Thursday. Uh, God bless all of you. Uh, I can't thank you all enough, and uh, have a great night. I'm Rory Sodder. See you Thursday. Cheers, everybody.